Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Aaron, so much. Friends, Happy New Year. What a glorious day the Lord has given us today. The sunshine and the beautiful weather. Amen. It's great. I'm praying that this is a sign of things to come, that this year will be beautiful. Why are you laughing? I'm optimistic about the weather. I know we live in Virginia. Optimism about the weather is not called for, but I'm trusting God more than the weatherman. How about that? All right. Um, And this is going to be a good year for Timberlake, friends. Um, I know we've had a lot of anxiety about changes, uh, but God is showing his faithfulness to us over and over and over again. So I want to say to you, do not worry. Do not worry. God has your future and the future of this church in his hands. And um, I, I know that you can believe this because you believe it for yourself, right? Many of you have trusted your soul to Jesus, so you can trust the soul of this church Jesus. Understand that the Lord cares as much about his body, the church, as he does about your particular life, okay? So trust God, trust God. So here at Timberlake, we thought, what better way to ring in the new year than by talking about how to grow our faith, uh, how to face setbacks and challenges, how to overcome adversity, and how to build resilience. So today we're starting a new series. It's called Unshakable Faith, Turning Setbacks into comebacks. Because here's what we know, friends. Life is hard, right? Life is hard. Rarely does it go exactly the way we want it to or even the way that we think it will. So what would it mean for us to live a fruitful life in spite of or even in the midst of the challenges? My in-laws have a refrigerator magnet on their refrigerator that I just love. You ever notice how you can learn a lot about a family by what's on the refrigerator? So they have this magnet that I love. It says, uh, life is tough, my darling, but so are you. Isn't that great? That's so great. So in the equation of human life, there are some things we can control, right? And then some things we cannot control. And one of the things we cannot control is how tough life is. That is beyond us. Hardships, problems, they happen, off, they happen to us, they happen around us, beyond our control. What is in our control is how tough we are, how faithful we are, how we respond to the things that are happening to us and around us, and where we go for power and for encouragement when life is difficult. Here's what we know, friends. Our Lord Jesus is an overcomer. He has overcome sin and the grave, which means if you are in Christ, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you also are an overcomer. He is working in and through you to overcome life's challenges. And it is in your weakness that Jesus is strong. I want you to have confidence in that today. So I want to go with you today to the place where we should go when life is tough, to the Scriptures, to the Word of God, which is our instruction and our encouragement, and it is the the Word of the Spirit to the church in these days in which we are living so that we might learn how to be faithful to the Lord, even as He is being faithful to us. And I want to go with you to what is one of the most practical books of the Bible. And when we say practical, we mean 
oriented to the practice of our faith, right? Something you can actually do. You read it here, and then you do it in the world, in your life. And so this is the book of James. And uh, James, in chapter 1, uses all sorts of metaphors to talk about how life is hard and how to overcome these hardships. So we're going to go to James chapter 1, verse 2, that Aaron read for us. If you have your Bible, this is a good time to have it open. Read along with me or follow along on the screen as we read. All right, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 2. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. All right, so right in, in James' typical fashion, right off the bat, he is challenging us. He's challenging us to think differently, to see the world differently, to live differently. James says, look, whatever you're going through, whatever hardship, whatever trial, whatever suffering, whatever burden that you carry, consider it nothing but joy. You broke your favorite Christmas ornament? Joy. You lost in your fantasy football league? Joy. Your friend canceled plans for lunch. You were looking forward to it? Joy. Illness? Joy. Divorce? Joy. You got fired from your job? Joy. Right. You're laughing, right? Because we want to say to James, come on, James, be real, brother. Be real. None of these things are joyful to us. James, what world are you living in? And you know what James is going to say back to us? Pardon me. What world are you living in? Are you living in your own little world? Or are you living in the world that God is making for you? You see, James is not saying these are joyful things. He's not suggesting that you go through life with rose-colored glasses pretending. No, no, no. He's saying, consider it joy. Yes, they are terrible things. They're not going to make you joyful. You have to consider it joy. And we are reminded that the disciples' ability to live with joy is not a matter of the circumstances. It is a matter of the faith. It is a matter of the attitude that you bring to your life. Friends, the most powerful organ in your body is contained right here. It is your mind. More powerful than any computer ever invented. Do you know that? Your mind is so powerful. Scientists have proved this over and over again. The human mind is the most powerful thing in existence. And here's what we know. What you tell yourself about your life is how your life goes. And if you say, I am miserable, then you will be miserable. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. But what James is saying, it doesn't have to be like that. You can have miserable things happening to you, and yet you can still have joy. Now, how is this possible? How is this possible? Well, there's a clue in the first phrase of this verse. Who is James talking to? He's talking to you. He's talking to people of faith. He's addressing the brothers and the sisters, the people of God. It would be ludicrous for us to expect the people of the world to live like this. But James isn't talking to the world. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the family of God. 
And it is not ludicrous to expect the family of God to live like this because you are the ones connected to the source of the joy. Jesus is your joy, friends. Jesus is your joy. So don't get too excited about good things happening in your life and don't get too upset about bad things happening in your life because your life is not determined by those things. It's determined by Jesus. Jesus is your joy. Whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Verse 3, James continues, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces patience. It produces perseverance. The word I'd like for us to use during this series is resilience. Everybody say resilience. Resilience is the... The testing of your faith produces resilience. It's a wonderful, life-giving spiritual attribute. And the good news of this kind of idea of endurance, of patience, of resilience, you don't have to be born with it. You can cultivate it. You can learn it. You, You can build it in your life. So what is resilience? Well, here's the definition I'd like to give you. Resilience is bouncing back from disruption. Bouncing back from disruption, learning how to roll with the punches, learning how to keep going even when life is hard, learning how to pass the test of faith with endurance. Think about some of the disruptions that you have faced in your life lately. Maybe little ones, maybe big ones. What comes to mind? What are some disruptions that you have had to face? A power outage. Yes. That was quite a disruption for some of us. What else? Say it louder. Moving. Oh, amen, brother. Moving. Yeah. What else? Say it again. Failing a test. Yes. Ah, I hate that. Don't you hate that? What else? Career change. COVID. Something over here. Having to get a new car. Man. Yeah. Car buying. Whew. These are disruptions, aren't they? These are disruptions. Some are small, just kind of annoyances, really. Some are big. Some are life-changing disruptions that we have experienced recently. What James is teaching us here, friends, is that big or small, the testing of your faith produces endurance, or what we are calling resilience. Okay, so facing disruptions with faith produces resilience. Now, there are two essential elements of resilience, You need toughness, and you need flexibility. Okay, so I think the first one everybody sort of knows and assumes, resilience takes toughness. Getting through life requires a certain level of strength, right, of hardiness, uh, of guts. You know, you got to just, you got to tough it out sometimes. Uh, One of the things I've learned from our Timberlake senior adults is that getting older is not for wimps. Amen? You got to be tough. You got to be tough. You face hardship. You know, your, your body breaks down and, and things don't go the way you want them to. You have to be tough. Being resilient takes toughness. But that's not all. Resilience also takes flexibility. Think about this with me. A cinder block is tough, right? A cinder block is strong. But if you drop a cinder block from 20 feet onto the pavement, what happens? It breaks because it's not very flexible, right? It doesn't bounce back. And so if you're going to be resilient, you have to not only be tough, you have to be flexible. You have to be malleable. You have to be adaptable. How open are you to the changes that the Lord wants to bring into your life? 
Friends, that is a flexibility of faith that Christ is calling you to, to become all that God wants you to be. Resilience is toughness plus flexibility. Verse 4, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So James says, let this endurance, let this resilience have the full effect on you so that you may be mature. James is talking about spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity. Resilience is an essential ingredient for growing up in your faith for growing up in Christ. And James is making this clear. If you want to get to where you want to go, you have to go through the trial, right? You cannot avoid hardship. That's the way life is. The only way to avoid hardship is to sit on the sideline and do nothing and wither away. But that's not really life, is it? And that's not the life that Christ is calling you to. And so we have to go through the hardship. If you want to be an effective grandparent, if you want to be a good at your job, if you want to be a successful athlete or a successful artist, most of all, if you want to be a dedicated follower of Jesus, you have got to be willing to suffer. You've got to be willing to suffer. Friends, that's all there is to it. Jesus said it would be like this, right? He said, in this life, you'll have trouble. And especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you will have trouble, Spiritual maturity in Christ comes by learning to navigate these troubles with faith, with endurance, with resilience. And we hear that, and I think we nod. We're like, right on, preacher, right on, yeah, tell it, tell it, right? But notice how countercultural, how counterintuitive what James is saying here really is, okay? He's saying spiritual maturity comes by exercising your faith with endurance and resilience, which is different than what we usually think, because most of us think that spiritual maturity comes with age. Most of you think that the way to grow in Christ is to get older, and James is saying that really has nothing to do with it, and I'm telling you as a pastor, that has nothing to do with it. You do not automatically become more mature by living more years. I have known some very mature young people, and I have known some very immature older people. Friends, it is, does not happen automatically. And if you're waiting for spiritual maturity to happen automatically, just because you have another candle on your cake, just because you went around the sun one more time, I'm telling you, it does not happen automatically. Here's a clue that someone thinks spiritual maturity happens automatically with age. When someone starts a conversation with me by telling me how many years they've been a member of their church. Well, I've been a member of this church for 40 years. I mean, okay, that's great. You can sit in your garage for 40 years and we'll make you a car, will it? Friends, spiritual maturity is not the fruit of age. It is the fruit of endurance. It is the fruit of patience. It is the fruit of perseverance. It is the fruit of living with your faith even when it's not convenient to live out your faith. Growing up in Christ means exercising your faith in Christ. This is why I'm constantly talking to you about the importance of your discipleship. 
about the importance of being in worship and being in a life group and serving your neighbor and giving financially because these are the ways that you grow in Christ. These are the ways that you develop this kind of spiritual maturity by attending to the practices of our faith that James is pointing us to here. Verse 5, if any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to you. If you're lacking in your understanding of this, is this is new, if you're shocked, you know, when James says, hey, count it joy and I say divorce and, you, and I say joy and you say, oh, that's ridiculous, right? Ask God for help in understanding how that's even possible. Ask God for wisdom. Friends, it's not too late. Now, this is the good news of the gospel for you. It's not too late. You can still grow in these things. God can still teach you. And I love this. God gives to all generously, and look at this, ungrudgingly. Isn't that good? And you know what? You understand what that means? It means God has no grudge against you. He is pleased to give it to you. You ever ask someone to do something and they do it, but they do it grudgingly? Right? Like a, like a teenager doing chores, Right? <laughs> And they do it, but the experience of it is not pleasant at all, right? But that's not how God works, because the way God works is ungrudgingly. He is pleased to bless you. He is pleased to prosper and to bless his children, especially when you face trials, especially when you are tested. He will prosper you, and he will bless you such that who you are on the other side of your ordeal is better than you were before your ordeal. And I wonder if any of you have ever experienced this before, where you went through something hard, and in the midst of it, it was miserable and awful, and you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, but at the other side, you were able to look back and say, whoa, God used that for my benefit. And I'm grateful now on the other side of it for the way that God used that experience to make me into a new creation, to give him glory, to give blessing to people, Friends, there's a theological word we have for this. We call it redemption. Redemption is the idea that God takes something bad and transforms it into something good. Now, what does that look like? Well, it looks like the cross and resurrection of Jesus. On the cross, the worst thing happened to the Son of God. And yet on the third day, God raised the Son, Jesus, from the dead for your salvation and for the salvation of the world. And he took the worst thing and transformed it into the best thing. That is redemption, and that is how God works. And so I'm pleading with you, ask God for help. Verse 6, but ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. When you ask for wisdom, when you ask for help, ask in faith. Do not doubt God's ability to help you. The one who doubts is tossed about by the wind and the waves. No direction, no purpose, just a victim of circumstances. Have you noticed how popular it is these days to be a victim? Friends, don't be a victim. Don't be a victim of your circumstances. Notice, disciples face the same wind and the same waves that unbelievers face. The difference is how we handle it. See, don't think at all for a minute that people who have peace in their lives, people who have joy in their lives, are people who have easy lives. That's not how it works. Everybody faces the same hardships. The difference is mature disciples are those who face trials with resilience. 
right? Mature disciples are the ones who are surfers on the surfboard, and instead of resisting the wave, they ride the wave with joy, by the way. You ever seen a surfer having a bad time? No, they have a great time all the time. Ask in faith, do not doubt, because life will throw trials at you like the wind and the waves of the sea. And then James gives another metaphor. We're skipping ahead now to verse 11. For the sun rises with his scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. It's like the scorching heat of the sun when you face trials and it causes the flowers to wilt and to fade and to die. And when life is hard and when the sun scorches you and the the heat of life's problems make you weary, the temptation, I think, to ask the question, and I know I've asked it myself, is why is this happening to me, right? Why is this happening to me? Now, that's not altogether a bad question, particularly in prayer. This is a question for prayer. This is a question for you to get on your knees and say, Lord, I need your help. I'm dying here, and you're the only one who can save me. You're the only one who can help me. But I'm telling you, don't get stuck on this question. Why not? Well, who's this question about? It's about me. It's about you, right? Don't get stuck on the question about you, friends, because that's too small, It's too narrow. It's too finite. So after you've asked this question, and you should ask it, but after you've asked this question, try this question. What are you trying to grow in me? What are you trying to grow in me, Lord? I may not understand why, but I can understand who. And I can understand, Lord, that you can use bad things for my good purposes, that God can redeem them, that God can take something bad in your life and transform it into something good. Now, do you know what kind of plant it is in the field that survives the scorching heat of the sun? What kind of plant? A a cactus. Yeah, good. You guys are more scientific than I gave you credit for. Yes, uh, here's my answer. The plant with deep roots, right? The plant with deep roots. The plant that can tap into the, the water in the ground and the nutrients in the soil, friends, When you are rooted in Christ, when you are rooted in Christ through prayer and worship and the study of God's word, you will survive the heat of life's problems. Now James finishes the passage with a promise, verse 12. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Friends, this is the promise. When you endure the temptation, when you get through the trial, when you pass the test, you are blessed. And I'm begging you today to believe this, that you are blessed. Because as soon as you walk out these doors and you face trials, do you know what the world will tell you? You're cursed, right? That's what the world will tell you if you have a hard day, if you have a hard life. The world will tell you, oh, you're cursed. You must have done something wrong, or God is mad at you, or you just drew the short straw, but you're cursed. But I'm telling you, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you are blessed. You are blessed, especially when you face trials, because that is when God is blessing you, because that's when you need it the most.
Friends, you are blessed. You are blessed. And when you feel cursed by the world, I want you to understand, that is when the king pours out his blessings on his children. Blessed are you when you face the trials. Blessed are you when you pass the test. Blessed are you when you endure with patience. Blessed are you when you believe and do not doubt. Blessed are you when you grow in spiritual maturity. Blessed are you when you weather the storm. Blessed are you when you ride the waves. Blessed are you when you harness the wind. Blessed are you when you face the scorching heat. Blessed are you when you receive the resilience that only Christ can give you. Because you are a child of the King. Friends, you're a child of the King. I want you to believe it. And the children of the King, James says, will receive the crown of life. Do you know what James is talking about here? Where is it, do you suppose, that you will receive the crown of life? In heaven. In heaven. James is talking about heaven, friends. You see this? He's talking about life is hard, life is hard, life is hard, but don't forget what awaits you in the future. Heaven. Heaven. And you will receive the blessing of the one who stores up the blessings for those he loves. I know life is hard, friends. We all know life is hard. Don't give up. Don't give up. There is, waiting for you in heaven, the crown of life. So fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Finish the race. Great is your reward in heaven. Let God's people say amen.